Okay, so we are back. All right. Our talk radio live in 4K. And the first one up is a story about a school teacher. And um, basically, unfortunately, how it all went down. Okay. And details of her murder. Let's get into it. The coroner had said we were able to identify the body as until Washington with dental records. I remember I just dropped to the floor and then my husband caught me. I couldn't even stand up because I'm like, what you mean she was found? Found where? I just couldn't process she was found dead. Like, what? My main concern at that point was her daughter and keeping her away from the television because um, they were constantly running the pictures and the, you know, you know, slang teacher and, you know, all of these different things on the, on the news. That was one of the hardest things I had to deal with just to hear those words. We found her. And that day just, that changed my life forever. In what ways? That I knew I had to do better. I knew that enough was enough of the life I was living, the choices I've made. This child's going to need a father in her life. If she made a choice with this dude to be her kid's father, then uh, it's already shown that she doesn't make good choices with men. Okay, it's already there. You already see it. Okay, pregnant mother was brutally murdered in front of her three year old daughter, who became a key witness in putting a killer behind bars. The tragedy surrounding Lintrell Washington's death, the traumatic events that unfolded after at the center of episode of 2020 on Friday. Okay. Washington, a Baton Rouge teacher, was killed by her boyfriend in 2016 before her before he left her daughter in a Louisiana parking lot. A passerby found the toddler with blood on her feet near a car that was also splattered with blood. Social later discovered that Washington, 40, had a secret relationship with Robert Marks, the assistant principal at Brookstown, Brookstown Middle Magnet Academy, where she taught. Friends of Washington told ABC Deborah Roberts that she was looking for love, but did not have any luck with men. See what I'm saying? When Washington became pregnant, she told Mark that she needed to tell his wife. Yeah. That's a smart move. Yeah. You got pregnant by a married man, and then you want that married man to tell his wife. That is not happening. Washington became pregnant. She told Marx that he needed to tell his wife or she would or she would, according to Jamaica Pink Fisher, who was another Brookstown assistant principal. When the pieces of Washington's case started to be put together, the daughter was questioned by police and helped crack the case. Leslie Parnes was the one who located the child in the parking lot. She told him that she was left there by Mr. Robbie, which Washington's friends said 
was the daughter's nickname for Marks. When police asked the child who put the blood on the Washington's car, on Washington's car dashboard, she once again pointed to Mr. Robbie. The daughter confirmed these details with a child forensic interviewer, telling them she had heard a boom and then answered yes when asked if she saw Mr. Robbie hurt mommy. You hear a little girl in her own voice saying, Mr. Robbie put blood in my car. I heard a bang. My mama started shaking. My mama asleep by a lake. Chuck Smith, an investigator with the East Baton Rouge District Attorney's Office, told 2020. Washington was found dead in a ditch in a sugarcane irrigation field a week later. Her daughter was left in the parking lot. He, she had a gunshot wound to the head, according to Tony Clayton, the Iberville Parish District Attorney. Melissa Mason, a friend of Washington, said that her friend told her that Marks was divorcing his wife, but they were living in the same house. <clears throat> Washington discovered Marks was on a cruise with his wife and grew angry texting him to ask if he was going to support her and her unborn child. This is the thing, man. This is the You made a choice, okay, to be with this man. Okay. Ah oh, man. Marks was questioned by police and reportedly admitted to the affair. The suspect was also seen seeing a third woman, Tremisa Jackson, who told investors that Marks asked her to pick him up around the location where, the, where Washington's child was found. She played no role in the murder, investigators said. In a preview for the episode, police said they were notified that the, by the owner of the field that workers had found the body. Police suspecting it was Washington quickly responded to the scene, closed the clothes she was wearing matched the surveillance footage of the wash of Washington in her classroom on the day she disappeared. And officers were able to locate a sandal in her car that matched the one she had on when she was found. I remember I just dropped to the floor. And then my husband, yeah, I read this part. Yeah, this was in 2020. Okay. Oh boy. The child is now nine years old and lives with her father. Darren Glasper, who said she sees a lot of Washington in her. I see that she's smart, educated. She's focused on what she puts her mind to, to stuff. Mark's defense lawyer argued at the trial that the evidence of the case was circumstantial, but did not offer a closing argument or provide witnesses. After a half an hour, the deliberations, a jury convicted Mark Marks in December of 2021. He was sentenced earlier this year to life in prison without parole. Meanwhile, Washington is remembered by her friends and family and students as a dedicated teacher, doting mother, and loyal friend. She was a loyal, dedicated, and hardworking, Pink Fisher said. Her name was important to her. She didn't want anything attached to her name that was negative. You didn't want anything attached to your name was negative, but you were having an affair with a married man. <clears throat> she didn't want anything attached to her name that was negative. That was bad. She wanted to be a great mother. She really was a good teacher, a former student told 2020. It's sad, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of women put themselves in these situations, okay? And then when you call it out, they get mad at you. To date the wrong man until 
it ends up being a situation where you can't get out of it, okay? Especially when it comes to, you know, you have, you know, you're going to have some black women that don't like it when you point this out, okay? I remember another story of a woman, you know, she was, she was a big-time lawyer, and she ended up dating the wrong dude. This dude had practically nothing, okay? And she ended up getting killed by him, all right? This is not, this, this is not a game, all right? How many more funerals do you need to have, okay, especially within the black community? How many more funerals do you need to have, okay? with this type of situation going on. Okay. How many more funerals? But they get mad at you because when you say that, you, they say you're judging. But something has to give. You cannot be messing around with married men. It's going to end bad. People, period. You can't be messing around with married people. That's not for you. All right, up to the next um, situation, um, the next uh, story. Here we go. <clears throat> Here we go with more of the Azov Battalion. New York Times celebrate neo Nazi Azov unit. Okay. Here, New York Times celebrates neo-Nazi Azov unit, the Azov Battalion, the Nazis, the ones that are uh, that are basically for harming minorities. How they, you saw how they treated minorities in uh, Ukraine when they wanted to get out. All right, three years ago, describing an Australian white supremacist charged with massacring forty-nine people in New Zealand, the New York Times, okay. March the 15th, 2019, wrote, on his flak jacket was a symbol commonly used by the Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization. What a difference a war makes. Time story, October 4th, 2022. In the paper's Ukraine news roundup began. Commanders of Ukraine's celebrated Azov Battalions have held an emotional reunion with their families in Turkey. Ukrainian officials said, Honoring the fighters released from Russian confinement last month as part of the largest prisoner swap since the start of the war. Celebrated is an odd word to describe a group whose founder urged Ukraine to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against Semite-led Ubermenschen subhumans. Hmm. Subhumans. The Guardian on March 8, 13th, 2018 is also a logo features the Wolf's, the wolf's Angel a runic icon adopted by the SS that becomes a symbol of choices for neo-Nazis in Europe and the United States. According to the ADL, to display any doubt about what the symbol means, Azov used to be superimposed to it on a black sun, a Nordic design beloved by Henrik Himmler. He was a Nazi. The Azov movement has linked up with other far-right groups across Europe and in the United States, including the Rise Above movement, a violent racist group based in Southern California, New Republic, July 9th, 2019. Azov 
is believed to have participated in training and radicalizing United States-based white supremacist organizations. According to an FBI report on November 14, 2018, the Times reporter Injoli Liston indeed went on to celebrate the group. The group's defense of the Azovstal steel plant in Maripol, the southern port decimated by Russian forces, is the first months of the war has become a powerful symbol of the suffering inflicted by Russia and the resistance mounted by Ukraine. They try to keep putting the Nazis as heroes. They are not heroes, okay? They are not heroes. And you see the agenda. I've been saying it for the longest. Sooner or later, we're going to be reliving what it's like to live in Nazi-occupied Germany. We're going to learn what that's like, especially if you're a minority you're going to learn what that is like. <clears throat> and it's going to be an ugly reality. I don't know how come people are not uh, waking up to this, especially minorities, especially in New York. Since they had an Azov Battalion celebration rally in Manhattan in July. <clears throat> Just wondering. Not a word in the eighth paragraph story gives any hint about the ugly far-right politics of the unit, incorporated since 2014 into Ukraine's military structure when it was rebranded as the Azov Regiment. The Times did, however, find space to convey to the Azov fighters from Ukrainian First Lady Olena Zelensky, thanks from Ukraine, from the president and all the people for whom they are fighting. Whew. This is insane, man. This is insane. Absolutely insane. That this is going on. But sad to say, I don't think people really care. I don't know how to say it. I don't think people really care. <clears throat> Maybe they're just for Joe Biden. That's it. I don't know. Maybe they're... Hold on one second. One second. Here we go. All right. All right. So this is what we're going through in New York. Here we go. Here we go. The mayor of New York City declaring a state of emergency due to the influx of asylum seekers. ABC's Phil Lipoff is on Randall's Island with the very latest. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Ariel. The buses of migrants continue to come from southern states. New York City Mayor Eric Adams says he's going to set up a, an emergency processing facility here on Randall's Island. Already behind me, you can see some of the trailers set up that house showers and bathrooms still. Mayor Adams is now saying what mayor, mayors from southern border towns have been saying for years. He needs federal assistance. This morning, a state of emergency in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams making the declaration. He said they... He they have said they've been saying this for years. They need federal assistance. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a joke, man. It's a joke. What's so hard to say? We can't hold these people. Send them back. Send them back now. Every last one. Send them back. 
We have food shortages. We have unemployment problems. We have our own people, our own citizens on the streets, and we're trying to feed these people? That's not right. Send them back. And Friday, amid the influx of migrants arriving each day, the city's shelter system at 100% capacity, and Mayor Adams says the city's services are being exploited by others for political gain. He's calling for federal aid. This is a humanitarian crisis that started with violence and instability in South America. And it is being accelerated by American political dynamics. In providing assistance to asylum seekers, the city is projecting it will spend more than $1 billion by the end of the year. At least 5,500 migrant children have been enrolled in New York City schools. Of the 61,000 people in New York City shelters, 20,000. You have kids that don't know how to read. Okay. In, in New York City schools who don't take showers, who parents are crackheads and abusers. Some of their parents are sexually and physically abusing them. Yet you want to put people from other countries in your schools? We have problems here that we need to fix. Outrageous. 5,000 are children and one in... 5,500 migrant children have been enrolled in New York City schools. 61,000 migrant in New York City shelters. 20,000 are children. Yeah, that this makes perfect sense to do that. <sighs> Vote him out. Vote him out. Five is an asylum seeker. More than 17,000 asylum seekers have been bused to New York City since the spring. At least five or six buses are arriving every day. Mayor Adams announcing in the next few weeks, a large humanitarian emergency response and relief center will open on Randall's Island. According to a recent report, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is on pace to make more than 2.3 million apprehensions on the southwest border. In New York City, the majority of the buses are coming from Texas. In an exclusive interview with affiliate KLTV, Texas Governor Greg Abbott saying busing migrants is not a political stunt. New York, Washington, D.C., and Chicago are self-declared sanctuary cities of millions of people with far more capabilities of dealing with these migrants uh, than these small little towns on the border. So this is a life preserver for the small communities uh, in South Texas. The hey, they kept shipping them there. They kept shipping them there to South Texas, and they got tired of it. Greg Abbott had to protect his, um, where he's at. So send them all over, send them all to, you know, Washington, D.C., send them all the way over there. He has to protect his own place, his, where he governs. It's not fair to him. Now, the mayor, the gov the mayor here, the governor, I'm sorry, he got to um, figure something out since he wants to welcome everybody in here. How about you send them back? Once again, send them back. Department of Homeland Security says it is helping cities like New York, D.C. and Chicago by expediting reimbursement requests just as soon as they come in and helping with resources on the ground still. The buses continue to come, and not just from Texas, now from Florida and Arizona as well. With Philip off for us. Thank you. Unbelievable, man. But like I said, this is all a uh, this all by design to bring down this country, raise the crime rate. This is what's going to happen because all those immigrants aren't there to start a better life. Some of them are there to uh, cause problems, cause havoc, all right?
That's what they're there for. All right. There's some more interesting uh, information. Since we're talking about the border crisis, here's something here that's uh, pretty interesting. Okay, here we are. Facebook shuts down page with positive and inspirational messages for U.S. border agents as suicidologists are brought up to help deal with the border agent suicide numbers not seen since the Obama era. Biden's reckless open border policies are literally killing some of the bravest men and women in America, not since Obama's flagrant disregard for the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents, have we seen so many of these brave men and women take their own lives? Wow. Yikes. Only yesterday, a Texas National Guardsman working in Eagle Pass on Biden's open south border has committed suicide. The Guardsman died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The Facebook page administrator <clears throat> Sergio Tenocio is a federal agent working for the Department of Homeland Security, born only the only child in the city of Far, Texas, to a single mother who still lived in Mexico. Sergio was raised by his maternal grandparents in the United States so that he could obtain American education. Due to his family's poor economic needs, he had to work since the age of seven in the crop fields of Michigan and those of Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. This is sad, man. It's sad. <clears throat> Sergio later served in the U.S. Army and is an American veteran. Following his time in the Army, Sergio Tenocio then joined the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. As a Border Patrol agent, Sergio has been serving his government for 20 years. The purpose of Sergio's Proud American Journey Facebook page was to give border agents a place to get inspired to go to get inspired and to share positive messages with each other. Thanks to Facebook, they no longer have that ability. Here are just a few examples of inspirational posts that could be found on the now defunct Facebook page. We love our country. What's wrong with this? After the stuff they got to deal with? Okay. Messages of encouragement for agents who are feeling down or depressed receive a lot of attention on the page meant to uplift the agents. The amount of things they got to see Wow. And finally, get home safe, a message that all families of border agents can relate to, as they never know if their loved ones will be murdered or harmed by dangerous Mexican drug cartels or criminals who are following across our southern border. This isn't the first time Facebook shut down the page where a border agent can go to read messages of hope and inspiration, share stories with each other. In 2019, Facebook shut down Proud American Journey page, reinstated it after we were able to help them reach out to Facebook to our Facebook representative. Facebook no longer responds to our emails or messages asking for help. Suicide is very real and a serious problem with our border agents who are left fleeing helpless under Biden's open border policies. Washington Exam reports over the past 15 years, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Border Protection has lost 146 employees to suicide. Wow. 
senior officials became especially concerned this year because the death spiked early on. We were sitting at five suicides, and that was alarming, said acting CBP, Koo, Benjamin, Carey, Huffman, in an exclusive interview with the Washington Examiner. The federal agency became the first government entity to add a suicidologist to its ranks in the first half of the 2021. Dr. Kent Corso works in the Commissioner's Behavioral Safety and Risk Management Office, has spent more than a year quietly working on the issue, spurring major changes to the agency's culture. And what has Biden been doing when it comes to this? I know he has to have known about this. They have to have brought this to his attention. Federal data provided to the Washington Examiner goes back to 2007, the lowest year on on record for suicides. The number per calendar year ranked at 14 in 2009. As of September 11, CBP employees have died by suicide this year. In one instance, the victim was not only a Border Patrol agent himself, but his father was also an active agent. Border Patrol agents make up a roughly one-third of CBP's workforce. Frustration among agents in the patrol in the Border Patrol has increased over the past 18 months as illegal immigration arrests spiked and agents were forced to release them. I'm sorry, forced to release more than one million illegal immigrants into the interior of the country rather than remove them due to the volume of people illegally entering. Border Patrol redirected half of its agents to transport process and watch over people in custody. CBP hired 21 clinicians as well as 13 psychologists nationwide. The psychologists will serve as initial points of contact for employees to share any kind of concern. Then advice what's next with the next steps make sense. Support staff also regularly attend daily meetings to be visible and accessible. They are pushing the workforce to come forward with problems such as trouble communicating with a spouse, feeling tired most of the time, or drinking to excess. By bringing the concerns to the psychologist, employees can be sent in the right direction of care, sometimes as simple as going to get vitamins or for sleep or talking with a professional once a week about moving through a difficult time in life. They're trying to do their job sending these illegals back and the government is forcing them to keep them in here. And the things they see, they have to, you know, children being damaged by being gang raped, women being raped. They have to see this crap. The people that claim to, oh, this is my my child, the, the, the illegal alien men. Oh, this is my child. But when you ask them, what is the birth date of your child? What's their name? They can't answer that. Some of these people are cartels, criminals, and Joe Biden is doing this to get him into the country because he needs votes. He knows he's a, his approval rating is through the floor right now. It's sad. People in California are going to go through hell. So sad. It's it's wow. All right, let's talk about Kanye West. 
is one of the best-selling musical artists in the world. He's also in Fair the use. Become a celebrated and very highly paid fashion designer. And of course, for a decade, he was well-known to TV audiences as an in-law of the Kardashian family. But it's West's latest incarnation as a kind of Christian evangelist that brought us to his office in Los Angeles today for the interview you're about to see. Days ago, during Fashion Week in Paris, West, accompanied by his friend Candace Owens, unveiled a T-shirt that read simply, White Lives Matter. They're friends again. Mm, nah, they're not. <laughs> After he said she stole his... Um, he said she stole his logo, Candace Owens, the grifter. Okay. All right. The response from the fashion industry and international media was instantaneous and uniform. Shock, horror, rage. There is no excuse for this, thundered the New York Times. West is legitimizing extremism, shrieked Rolling Stone, etc., etc. What was strikingly missing from the coverage, however, was any explanation for why West did this. What was the T-shirt about? No one seemed to think to ask him, much less to listen to what he had to say. Instead, the enemies of his ideas dismissed West, as they have for years, as mentally ill. Too crazy to take seriously. Look away! Ignore him! He's a mental patient. There's nothing to see here. But is West crazy? You can judge for yourself as you watch what we're about to show you. He has his own ideas, we can say that. Creative people tend to. That's why they're artists, not actuaries. His freeform social media posts give the impression of a man channeling his rawest emotions right onto Instagram. The effect can be jarring, and it's often used as ammunition against him in the battle for influence over the minds of America's young people. And that battle is intense. But crazy? That was not our conclusion. In fact, we've rarely heard a man speak so honestly and so movingly about what he believes. But again, you can judge for yourself. Here it is. Second. So you just came from Paris Fashion Week. You just landed. And Elena is still on from there. And there's a photograph of What is that? It's a, it's a photograph of the baby's, baby's ultrasound. ultrasound. Why is that? And that you designed that? Yes. Why? What does that mean? Uh, it just represents life. I'm pro-life. Well, so you wear it on a badge. What what kind of response do you get? And, and good, amen. I agree. I don't care about people's responses. I care about the fact that there's more black babies being aborted than born in New York City at this point. That 50% of black death in America is abortion. So I really don't care about people's responses. I perform for an audience of one, and that's God. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm starting to see why they want to make you be quiet. Um, how? When did you start to feel this way? When did you start to realize this? I, I really felt like I think I started to really feel this need to express myself on another level when Trump was running for office and I liked him yes. and every single person in Hollywood from my ex-wife to my mother-in-law to my manager at that time to, you know, my, my so-called friends slash handlers around me told me like, if I said that I like Trump, that my, my career, career would be over, that my life would be over. over. Uh, they, they said, said stuff, stuff like people get killed for wearing a hat like that. that. They threatened my life. They, my life. they basically said that I would be killed uh, for uh, wearing a hat, 
I had a, a someone call me last night and said anybody wearing a White Lives Matter shirt is going to be greenlit, and that means that they're going to beat them up if they wear it. And I'm like, you know, okay, green light me then. <laughs> you know, you know, God builds warriors in a different way. I don't know if it's because of me being a born in Atlanta and growing up on the south side of Chicago that, you know, he made me for such a such a time like this. It's like with David, you know, he tended to the sheep, but while he was out there, he had to fight all kinds of animals. So when it was time for Goliath to come, he thought because he was a sheep herder that he didn't have the skill set to take down Goliath. And the thing that I have is the position I have my heart, but the number one thing is we have God on our side. And for the people, even if you don't believe in God, God believes in you. So you made reference to the White Lives Matter t-shirt mm -hmm. which you brought out at Paris Fashion Week. Yeah. Why, why did you do that and what did it mean? You know, I did, I do certain things from a feeling. I like, I just, I just channeled the energy. It just feels right. It's using Okay, so my thing is with all right, Kanye with White Lives Matter. Do you understand that you know the Republican Party doesn't care about black people? They don't want you know to give black people tangibles in exchange for their vote. That's the issue I have with Kanye. All right. You're joining you joining putting White Lives Matter. Okay, but are you willing to challenge the Republican Party to actually give blacks tangibles in exchange for their vote? If black people ask for reparations, if black people ask to modify qualitative immunity, which is helping crooked people with badges get away with murder, literally. Okay. How about that? All right. There was a black man who was trying to break up a dispute and a cop just shot, just shoots him. Okay. And says he's another N word. What are you going to challenge that Kanye? That's what I'm saying. Because I'm just holding him on a suspicion because this is the second time he's gone to the right. Tanya Harding, how she did the, the triple flip or the triple spin. Yeah. She was in so much practice that when it was time for her to skate in a in a, comp, in a competitive format, it just happened. Like it happened outside of practice. It happened in the real format. And that's what hap that's what's happening is God is like preparing us for the real for the real battles. And we are we are in a battle with the media, like the majority of the media has a, a godless agenda and the jokes in that work and this whole like, oh, yeah, he's crazy and all these things. They don't work because the media has, you know, they've also watched travesties happen, just even specifically to me and just watch it and act like it wasn't happening. And they stay quiet about it. Uh, what, are they, so, what if what, what, I want to answer the, the white? Yeah. I, I feel like someone caught what I was saying, the comparison to Tanya Harden about the, the White Lives Matter. You know, my dad is an educated um, ex-Black Panther 
and he put a text to me today. He said, white lives matter. Ha 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 ha. And I said, I thought the shirt was a funny shirt. I thought the idea of me wearing it was funny. And I said, dad, what do you think it was funny? He said, just, just a black man stating the obvious. And, you know, my dad doesn't listen to rap music and he's like super educated. We, we opened up a water distribution center in the Dominican Republic together. He's like the original Steve Jobs, but he was getting blocked every which way with all of his ideas. And he didn't have uh, an endless bank account and he didn't have an Instagram. So all these ideas, he had to like take them back and compress them. Like my dad is the most brilliant person that I know. And we actually have a strained relationship because I was taken from him because my mom was an actress. So she was a liberal and my dad would see certain things and say, you know, we should do it this way. We should do it that way. And the people got around my mom and pulled her away much like, you know, Kim is a Christian, but she has people who want her to go to interview magazine and put her ass out while she's a 40 something year old multi-billionaire with four black children. And this is what, how fashion wants to, uh, how they want to present her. So I know you give these, um, you get these questions and I give you like these three part answers. This is a cool format for you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, cool. And I am following you. All right. So you said um, that your father said when he saw the shirt, White Lives Matter, it's great to see a black man stating the obvious. So by which I think you meant that's obviously true. Yeah, that my favorite response because I kept on thinking like, you know, people, they're looking for an explanation and people say, well, as an artist, you don't have to give an explanation, but as a leader, you do. Yes, I think that's right. So the answer to why I wrote White Lives Matter on a shirt is because they do. It's the obvious thing. Kanye, White Lives Matter has always mattered. It's just Black Lives Don't Matter. It's just a counter. These Republicans don't care about Black people. It's just a plantation, okay? They don't want to admit when there's crime, all right? Not all whites are racist on the right. Some have woken up and they are tired of what's going on. Hey, they woken up when Trump was in office and they see how Trump was a scumbag. And they don't want anything to do with Trump, okay? Because they've seen how he how he acts. He defended Linda Fairstein, a crooked prosecutor who sent five innocent black boys to prison, Okay for a crime of rape that he didn't commit, okay? And the real rapist, Matias Reyes, confessed to the crime, okay? And still, all right, Trump defended that woman, Linda Fairstein. That tells you something about Trump, okay? That tells you what type of man he is. Okay, <clears throat> and you still have blacks trying to defend him. And Kanye coming up here and looking like a clown doing this. I don't know what type of scheme they're cooking up, but unfortunately, you're going to have blacks who think this is okay. Kanye's awoken up. He's on the right side now. Until he starts showing, Kanye starts saying something that's outrageous, then they'll, they'll look like clowns again. 
Clowns on the left, clowns on the right. So the implications, of course, all lives matter because they're lives, because God created them. Yeah. Why do you think that that would be considered controversial? God would be best drama. Oh, ever sorry. Ever had. Sorry. Smooth. Here we go. Because the same people that have stripped us of our identity and labeled us as a as a color have told us what it means to be black and the vernacular that we're supposed to have. My dad grew up as a military brat and his family moved around, but they were based mostly in Delaware. And at the time, if, if he wasn't, if they weren't the only black family, they were one of the few. And he would be discriminated against because he was black. So by the time he got into college, he would be discriminated against. He went to a black college. He would be discriminated against because he said he talked too white. Yes. And then he played the kick drum in the band. So when he would go to the club and the music was playing, where would he clap his hands? Where the kick drum is. Yeah. So it's the opposite of where everyone else right, was exactly. clapping their hands. <laughs> and uh, this is the most elegant and tasteful person that I know. And when my mom, when they, when, when the school suggested, like the hurting systems, because what they do is take the um, the black community and they separate us, and they separate the families. And the educated, uh, they, you know, they push this, you know, need for higher education. And us as blacks, we discriminate against each other and say, well, I got my PhD and you don't have your PhD, so I'm better than you. And so my mom, she had a PhD and she was influenced to uh, move to the south side of Chicago, take this job at Chicago State University. And she told my dad, if you come, if you come for us, you know, you'll never see him again. Because, you know, the media ridiculed me for getting the house next door to Kim to see my children. And they even said that I was stalking her and her new boyfriend because I bought the house next door to see my children. And I, that's that's how I knew that that uh, that my mom had said that to him. I said, Dad, you know, they moved us to one of the most dangerous, agreed upon to be one of the most dangerous places in the world. It's almost like they tried to kill me or something. Uh, I said, dad, why didn't you ever, why'd you never come to get us? And that's when he told me, that's when he told me that she was told that, you know, so many things that are put in Kim's head, you know, they bring influencers, like no one ever know where Corey Gamble came from. No one in the fashion world knows where Gabby came from. These people were practically made in a laboratory, in my opinion. And one of the things that this sounds like a like a sane man to you. This sounds like a sane man to you. It, it, it there's nothing. This man does not sound sane. He sounds traumatized. He sounds damaged. I mean, they're just using him. That's it. Oh, white lives matter. So why do you? Because they do. They of course white lives matter, Kanye. I don't see anything profound coming from his mouth. This is the same man that was. 
making rap videos about how he wanted to bury Pete Davidson. I am happy that they are divorced, though. I am happy with that. Because any man married to the Kardashians, look look what happened to um I forgot the guy who was married to uh Chris Jenner and now he's a woman now. Look look at that. Okay. Look at that other dude that was with Chloe, I think. Yeah, I think her name's Chloe. And that Lamar, he's, he's a drug addict now. Kim chose this man. That they're really good at doing is being nice and being likable. And what they do is for people that have some form of influence, whether it's an educated black woman like my mother that became the head of the English department at Chicago State University, or whether it's the most influential uh, white woman on the planet being my ex-wife, they have people that are around them at all times telling them what to be afraid of. It's like not what to do or say specifically, it's what to be afraid of. And if you have a person that isn't afraid of them, you know, like a Russell Brand or yeah. Candace Owens, or, it's not that we have to agree right. no. with this, but they're not afraid. They're not afraid to state what their opinion is. Yes. Candace Owens is a grifter. Candace Owens knew nothing of Ahmad Arbery and labeled him a thief and a criminal. Okay. Candace Owens said Hitler was a good guy until he wanted to go global. All right. Candace Owens is a made a website called Social Autopsy to dox kids. Okay. Candace Owens is afraid of the right because that's where her money is. Okay. It's just a plant. These are plantations. House Negro, field Negro. That's what it is for the black people. And he's trying to uplift. Something's going on, man. How much they paid Kanye? I don't know what's going on, but there's some there's there's some some something evil is on is on the horizon. That's how I see it from both of these parties. Everyone, no one is God, and everyone has an opinion. <clears throat> so a conversation like this is a window into a world that you don't see. So if you're familiar with West from the media. You think of him as an individual man. What you don't think about is that he is at the center of a battle, and people like him are at the center of a battle to get a message out. Mouthed by the lips of influencers like him and so many. What's the bat what what's the message? White lives matter and black people lives matter only if white people think so. Is that it? Because that's basically what it is when you say white lives matter. White lives have always mattered. Many others that extends a storyline on behalf of, well, in this case, the status quo. So there are a lot of people vying to make. This guy is a. I, I, know, I don't really take Tucker Carlson seriously at times. 
I don't. I really don't. Ah, boy. Okay, next story. Let me ask you, how, how well do you think the U.S. military could fight a war if they're constantly, you know, if the money that's supposed to be used to buy weapons is constantly given to Ukraine? How well do you think the U.S. military could fight um, and defend off enemies, both foreign and domestic? Just a question. Just a question. All right. U.S. weapon and ammunition stockpiles dangerously low under Biden amid growing threats worldwide. Washington, D.C., an alarming report was issued last week citing the dangerously low weapon and ammunition stockpiles the United States is currently experiencing. Low inventory comes from months of rearming the Ukrainian military in their fight against their aggressive neighbors to the east, Russia. The current military stockpile hasn't haven't been this low in decades, experts say. The United States has openly declared their commitment to keep American boots off ground in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, and so far that promise has been kept. But they also kept their promise to help Ukraine fight their war with Russia to fend off and keep their fragile country intact, according to a column in Breitbart authored by Christina Wong, she stated. As part of the $16.2 billion in support committed to Ukraine since Russia invaded uh, in February, the Department of Defense has approximately $8.4 billion worth of military equipment from its own weapons stockpiles through an authority known as a presidential drawdown. A president drawdown is the term given to the act of providing military assistance, in this case stockpiles of weapons, to a nation or region experiencing a crisis, sometimes in only hours. According to the government website, it defines presidential drawdown. It states the use of the presidential drawdown authority to direct a drawdown to provide military assistance under Section 506A1 of the Foreign Assistance Act is a vulnerable tool of U.S. foreign policy in crisis situations. It allows for the speedy delivery of defense articles and services from the Department of Defense stockpile stocks to the um, stocks to foreign countries and international organizations to respond to unforeseen emergencies. Such assistance can begin arriving within days or even hours of approval. According to the worrisome report, the current level of certain critical weapon system ammunition has reached a point that would be problematic during wartime conditions. American has <clears throat> American has and continues to face threats across the globe. America has and continues to face threats across the globe. They need to do some spell checking before they make these articles public. Although the war on terror has seemed to diminish over recent years, the conviction of those individuals like Al-Qaeda wishing to harm America and its citizens remains strong. Combined with the increasing 
global dominance of China, their growing economy, scientific advancements, and expanding military has emboldened Chinese government officials to push the envelope further and further each year. Just a few months ago, Chinese officials launched a series of high-powered missiles near Taiwan soon after the departure of the unpopular politician and how U.S. Housekeeper, House Speaker sorry, Nancy Pelosi. The other major adversary is and always has been a thorn on the United States side is Russia. The tension between the two world powers dates back over 70 years since the onset of the Cold War following the Second World War. Department of Defense, DOD, initially began reducing the production of certain weapon systems. Many skirmishes in the Middle East saw a lack of need for some surface-to-air missile systems. They have instead focused on improving and growing smaller special operation units that are more usable to in the war on terror. However, since the DOD has been shifting its focus from sensitive areas in the Middle East to Pacific region, there has been an increase in demand for these traditional war weapon systems, many of which have been slated to go to Ukraine forces. Among the weapon systems are HIMARS, high mobility artillery rocket systems. HIMARS are deadly, accurate, fast, and travel great distances. HIMARS provide a highly effective precision fires capability We've all seen how Ukraine has leveraged this system to push back against Russia's war of aggression, disruption of ammunition depots, supply lines, and logistical hubs for behind the front lines, a senior defense official said during a briefing this week. According to the column, in addition to 34 HIMARS, a list of weapons systems committed to the Ukraine front lines include over 1,400 Stingar anti-aircraft systems produced by Raytheon, over 8,500 Javelin and anti-armor systems produced by Raytheon and Lockheed. Over 32,000 other anti-armor systems produced by various suppliers. Over 700 Switchblade Tactical Unarmed Aerial Systems production by Environment Incorporated. Wow. 126, 15, 100, <clears throat> 100 sorry. <clears throat> 126 and 155 milli, millimeter howitzers and up to 807,115 millimeter artillery rounds produced by General Dynamics base systems and various suppliers. 2015, 115 millimeter howitzers and 180,115 millimeter artillery rounds produced by General Dynamics base systems and various suppliers. Over 50 counter artillery and radars produced by Raytheon. All this, all these weapons that they're giving over to Ukraine, and we are our military is extremely weak. So basically, there's a possibility that the United States could get taken over. Possibility, I'm not saying it could be, it could, ha it will happen, but there's a good possibility the United States will be taken over by foreign powers. Stock up on food, stock up on water, supplies. Uh, it's going to get real. The Biden administration and the DOD need to proceed carefully as there is a growing threat, direct threat to the U.S. from multiple organizations and governments. Although most Americans want to see Ukraine defeat and push out Russia. Most? Not me. I'm sorry. Ukraine is a Nazi country. 
we must not forget we must properly protect ourselves too. Joe Biden don't care about that. Okay? He does not care about that. At all. We're in trouble. We're in some serious trouble. All right. Hold on one second. Hold on a second. Right there. Okay. Here we go. All right. This is the next one I was going to bring up. Get the, all right, here we are. Yep, here we go. So basically, uh, we have school teachers that want to talk about this. Not math, not science, just this. I pride myself on being a teacher who's very open about her life. And one of the things I'm very open about is my sexuality. I have a trans flag, a bi flag, and a binary flag all on my desk at my work. But there's one thing I'm not open about, and it's being poly. And today that actually became something I had to worry about for the first time. See, the kids are interviewing us teachers as a part of learning how to write profiles on others. They'll soon be doing it with each other, but they're starting with the teachers so they can all work together on one subject. And one of the kids... Why do you have to talk about your sexuality to these kids? Why does your sex life have to be told to these kids? What grade are you teaching as, as well? That's what I like to know. What grade are you teaching? On Tuesday, he's going to ask me if I have a partner. And the answer is, yeah. And I have another one, too. And I don't know how to handle that conversation. I doubt they ask for that. I doubt they ask for this. All right. I doubt they ask for this type of information out of you. And you want to just spit it out there. Because while I know that the kids are more accepting of things like homosexuality, bisexuality, all of that, polyamory is not in the conversation. It's not something that is talked about. And I worry not only would this be something that might lead to rumors that I am cheating on my partner or that I am a swinger or something like that, but would also just totally derail the class. So the obvious answer, the one that I went to first, is I'm not going to talk about it. But that feels wrong, too. I don't like lying to my students. I don't like telling them falsehoods. And also, I don't feel comfortable answering the question by saying, yes, I have a partner, and having to pick which one I pick as the face for my relationship. That feels super, super gross, right? So I guess what tentatively I've decided after talking with my co-teachers and my assistant principal is maybe the right way to do it is answer the question honestly. Say, well, I don't feel comfortable talking about who I'm in a relationship with in this specific setting. I will say that I am bisexual. I've dated people with many different genders. Um, you don't need to talk about this. These are kids. What do it's basically best to take kids out of public schools and homeschool them because th this right here, they're grooming. This is grooming. Why do they need to know about this? This is adult conversations. These are, I don't even know what school, what grade you teach.
Because any grade, you know, in high school, it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. They don't need to know this. It's none of their business. You're an adult. There are children. Okay? They are children. They don't need to know this. You're setting them on the wrong path already. my own specific relationship that you're really, really insistent, let's just not do it in the classroom setting and we can do it like in lunch or in the after school GSA club or something like that, where maybe it's a little bit more of an acceptable and understanding situation to bring this up. Now, this is a long rambling thing and that story has kind of wrapped itself up neatly, or at least it will on Tuesday, but I think it talks to a much broader issue, which is that like, this is a really nuanced thought process I had to have where I had to consider uh, the emotional maturity of the kids, where I have to consider what they already know and are talking about, what they don't know and aren't talking about, and also consider how does this fit in with the content that I'm teaching. And the fact of the matter is, this is not a conversation that conservatives are having at all. They've decided that carpet, like blanket statement, like you can't do this at all. There's no place for it. And that just shows such a lack of thought. And No, it has no place because these are kids that are supposed to be learning about education. They're not supposed to be learning about your sex life. Okay. They're not even supposed to be having sex. Okay. At this time in their lives, they're still children. Why would you want children knowing about this? So they could have sex, children having children. Is that something that should be put in schools now? They do. They're children. That's what they understand. They're children. This is going to be an uncomfortable situation that may lead to some strange conversations, but that's part of being a person. And I'd rather have the kids be able to have those conversations in a safe place. These are adult conversations that you don't have with kids. They're kids. It's This is just dumb. This is so dumb to have. It's going to be really, this is just stupid. This is really a culture war that people are going to have to take their kids out of school. That's what they're going to have to do. All right, let's get on to the new, uh, get on to the next topic. Sorry. Um, Department of Human Health and I'm sorry, Department of Health and Human Services is buying $290 million worth of drugs meant for treating radiation sickness, okay, in preparation for a nuclear emergency. Okay, this is what's going on right now. It, everybody's telling us in America everything is fine, but you're investing. $290 million worth of drugs meant for radiation sickness in case of a nuclear attack. This purchase was announced on October 4th by the Administration of Strategic Preparedness and Response, ASPR, an agency within the human, <clears throat> sorry, what is it? Health and Human Services, 
whose purpose is to prepare the nation for future disasters and public health emergencies. In a statement, the ASPR said it purchased a drug called Rampolnispium, sold under the brand name Endplate by the California-based biopharmaceutical company Amgen. The purchase was made as part of a long-standing, ongoing efforts to be better prepared to save lives following radiation, radiological, and nuclear major emergencies. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, approved the M-plate in 2008 as medication for immune from uh, biosyntopenia, an autoimmune disease that results in low platelet counts and uncontrollable bleeding. In 2021, the FDA approved using N-plate for treating blood cell injuries that accompany acute radiation syndrome in both adults and children. Repurposing drugs for acute radiation syndrome that also are approved for a commercial indication helps to sustain availability of the product and impose healthcare provider familiarity with the drug, said the ASPR in its announcement. The purchase was supported by the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, another agency under the <clears throat> HHS, which also supported Amgen's development of Endplate. BARDA is using its authority provided under the 2004 Project BioShield Act and $290 million in Project BioShield designated funding to purchase this supply of the drug, reads the ASPR statement. Project BioShield is a government program meant to incentivize private companies to develop countermeasures against future chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear threats. Amgen will maintain the supply and vendor-managed inventory, said ASPR, of the M-plate drug supply. The approach decreases life cycle management costs for taxpayers because the doses that near expiration can be rotated into the commercial market for rapid use prior to expiry and new doses can be added to the government supply. The new purchases follow increasing international concern over the potential for Russia's special military operation in Ukraine to turn into nuclear war due to Western-led influence. Russia President, Russian President Vladimir Putin has repeatedly warned that his country would consider every action necessary to achieve its objective in Ukraine and would not hesitate to deploy nuclear weapons. The Ukrainian government is reportedly preparing for a potential nuclear attack on its capital city of Kiev by stocking evacuation centers with potassium iodine pills, which can help protect people exposed to high doses of radiation. In response to Russian statements, American officials have asserted that it would take decisive action if Russia has ever moved to nuclear weapons. Okay, so let's get into this episode right now that talks about it. easy to talk casually about nuclear war without really grasping the real world implications of what it means for day-to-day living or day-to-day dying, as the case may be, for all of us who share this planet. And a nuclear war is almost certainly coming. That's the realization that a few people each day are waking up to, and it's, it's a horrifying realization. A nuclear war is coming. That's very different if we have, I mean, for Americans and North Americans and, you know, Central and South Americans as well. It's very different to have nuclear war taking place in Europe 
versus having nuclear strikes on the continental United States, two different scenarios. But for Europeans, they are probably going to be hit no matter how this goes down. And I mean major European cities, London, Paris, Berlin, Warsaw, you name it. They are certainly very high on the target list. And remember, the West is pushing Russia, almost provoking, almost begging for a nuclear war from Russia because, well, for a lot of reasons I've discussed previously. And in a recent interview I did with Steve Quayle, he indicated that based on his sources and analysis, that the United States would actually be the target of the first strike of Russian nuclear missiles. Now, I probably don't have to go into all the details about Russia's nuclear you know, ICBM capabilities and hypersonic missiles and multiple re-entry vehicles, hypersonic glide vehicles and all that stuff, because I've talked about it many times. But the bottom line is Russia has far more advanced nuclear delivery systems than, well, any other country in the world. And Russia has thousands of nuclear warheads and the ability to deliver them. So as Steve Quayle told me in a recent interview, he believes that targets would be, the very first targets, would be places like Washington, D.C., New York City, you know, take out the financial centers, military bases as well, and also key infrastructure such as the you know, ports in California. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand. America getting hit with, let's say, 20 to 25 nuclear weapons simultaneously. Believe it or not, that does not instantly annihilate every person in America. Far from it. In fact, most people would survive that strike by far. Yes, there would be millions dead in the cities or, or the targets, wherever they are. Perhaps many millions, perhaps 10 million. But that's a small fraction of the total population of the country. What would kill the rest of the people is the collapse of the infrastructure that provides the necessary essentials for life, which is, you know, food, water, electricity, spare parts, diesel fuel, you know, all these things. And these are things that you can do something about. And especially if you need to go, you know, hide out for a couple of weeks to let the iodine-131 reduce its uh, potency in the atmosphere, you know, the half-life is about let's say about seven days, I think, uh, roughly about a week. So if you stay indoors for two weeks, then the amount of iodine-131 still circulating in the air is one-fourth of what it used to be at the beginning of that. So it's one more reason to have a food supply, water supply, and so on. But the, the things that are going to kill most people are things that you can do something about. You can store extra food. You can have emergency medicine and sanitizers to keep your area clean, uh, especially if you have to use an outdoor toilet or even an indoor toilet, you know, going in a bucket, for example, because you don't want to go outdoors because the radiation levels are too high. Well, how do you keep your situation clean? You got to have soap and sanitizers and some chlorine dioxide for surface sanitation and some bleach and some povidone iodine and whatever. And of course, you have to have iodine to protect your thyroid as well. You have to have water filters. And it's really important to have stored water so you don't need to go get water anytime after, uh, you know, a nuclear detonation because that water may be contaminated with radioactive particles. And so if you have stored water and you can live a few weeks or even a month on your own stored water and food, 
you are in a great situation compared to most people. And by the time you emerge, the, the outdoor situation will be a lot safer, not, not quote safe, but let's say less dangerous than it was, you know, significantly less dangerous than it was. Meanwhile, those who are not prepared, who don't have food and water and what have you, and they're running around outside desperately trying to loot a local grocery store or something, guess what? They're breathing in iodine-131. They're going to die of cancer. And maybe not right away either. They might die of cancer in a year. But once they're exposed, it's already a ticking time clock, you know, and especially if they didn't have the iodine or they don't have any way to you know cleanse their bodies or detox from radioisotopes and things like that so people will die from starvation and disease not from the nukes though they again let's say 10 million die from the nukes but you can have 200 million die from a collapse of the infrastructure so the reason this matters is because if you want to prepare for a nuclear strike on america the best way to do that is to number one, move away from the cities that are likely to be hit or the military bases. And then secondly, be a prepper, have extra stuff so you can hunker down indoors for a period of weeks or a month, wait for the radiation levels to die down or wait for the radioactive dust to kind of settle down outside, which will take a few weeks. And at that point, you also need to be able to defend yourself against the looters against, you know, the, the human wave of desperate, dying, irradiated people who are frankly already dead, but they're still walking around. You know, I mean, they're going to die, but in the meantime, they want your food. And so, yeah, they're going to come to your place. They're going to find you and you're going to have to defend yourself. But that preparedness activity being prepared to, defend your household or your community or your city block or whatever it is, or your county. Well, that's a preparedness activity that is useful for every collapse situation. So in other words, my point is preparing for a nuclear war on America is very much the same as preparing for any kind of collapse. You're going to need extra supplies and a way to defend yourself. You're going to need a you know, ballistic vest. You're going to need ammo. You're going to need rifle and training and to know how to use it. You're going to need a sidearm. You're going to need night vision. You're going to need also at some point seeds to grow food eventually. You don't want to do that immediately because you don't want to be outside, but you're going to have to grow food. You're going to need water filters. You're going to need a Geiger counter of some kind, right? You're going to need these basic things that we talk about, emergency first aid, emergency communications, all of it. Surviving a nuclear war is quite possible. In fact, even in World War II, most people in Japan did not die from the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yes, hundreds of thousands died, but turns out that wasn't most of the population. Now, I know what you're saying, that the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima were very, very small in terms of yield compared to Russia's nuclear weapons today, which I think start at one megaton and go even higher so at 100 megatons that's something like 6,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on hiroshima so oh, but but most icbms don't have 100 megaton warheads by the way they're significantly smaller than that but still capable of a lot of destruction
yeah, I get it. A lot of these detonations could be much, much larger. However, farther you are away from ground zero, the safer your situation becomes very quickly. It's based on the inverse square rule of distance, essentially. So the actual blast radius, the kill zone or the total destruction zone for these nuclear weapons is not as large as you might suppose. Now, right, a, a nuke dropped directly on New York City or lower Manhattan, yes, if it's of sufficient size, like 50 megatons or even larger, it's going to obliterate every standing building in lower Manhattan. It's going to kill every resident there. But it doesn't mean everybody in upstate New York or everybody in New Jersey is dead or anything like that. It's just that those people will be dead if they haven't prepared because you will instantly suffer the loss of infrastructure. So what I want you to think about here with a lot of depth is where your preparedness activities simultaneously prepare you for a nuclear strike as well as any other kind of collapse, such as a power grid collapse, an EMP weapon, uh, cyber attack, you know, grid down scenarios, anything like that. Because having extra food and water and medical supplies and backup forms of money, i.e. gold and silver, having your own ability to defend yourself, you know, self-defense with uh, rifles and ammo and so on, this is priceless. And this will help you no matter what the situation. So this is where I believe we need to focus our efforts. And yeah, sure, we want to have iodine, we want to have water filters, and we want to have Geiger counters. But primarily, we want to have a lot of stored supplies so that we can make it through any kind of, let's say, disruption of basic infrastructure, including living without electricity. Now, for those of you who listen to my podcast, you know I have a free downloadable audiobook on all of this. It's called Resilient Prepping. And if you go there to that website, resilientprepping.com, you can download it for free. Just download the MP3 files and a printable transcript PDF file, and it teaches you how to survive having no electricity, no power grid, no technology, no combustion engines, nothing. It's what I call no-tech or low-tech and no-tech survival strategies. So download that book. Again, it's completely free, and you'll be able to learn all of this and much more. So thank you for listening. I'm Mike Adams. Okay. So um, there you have it. This is what's going on. This is what's going on today. All right. <clears throat> we are having... Um, a situation that is coming and the government knows about it all right they know that joe biden administration is pushing for nuclear war with russia pushing for it and they know it's going to happen they know and this is why you have people talking about get prepared get ready stock up on food be able to defend yourself, especially in the cities. If you can't leave the cities, stock up on food. Be ready to defend yourself because you're in trouble. Cops are not going to help you. Okay? They're not. When this really happens, because they're going to think about their own families. 
And I really feel bad for these single mothers in these five boroughs of New York City. I really feel bad for them. And these projects, and you have kids. It's sad to say some of you don't even like your kids. Some of you will sell your kids for food. It's really scary, man. It's really scary. All right. Let's get into the next story right here. A second. these five women and one man in connection to the gruesome murder of 22-year-old Deja Johnson. Sources say the group was inside the victim's apartment at some point and are looking to piece together a timeline. Police were called to Johnson's apartment here on Linwood Street and Atlantic Avenue for a wellness check after Johnson had not been seen or heard from for about a month. What they found was... The yeah, I did a live stream on this. I knew that I knew she was from the hood. I knew this was a hood situation. Unthinkable. The only um, scared thing about it was that she lived under me. Police say Johnson's ex-boyfriend is a person of interest in the case. Surveillance video connects him to the apartment, and he allegedly refused to let security guards in when they questioned a foul odor coming from the apartment. Police found Johnson's body in two suitcases in the bathroom with blood and a meat cleaver. Police arrested the ex-boyfriend, 23-year-old Justin Williams, but so far he has not been charged. Sources tell us the two have a history of domestic violence and that this group possibly witnessed the violence that led to the victim's death. Meantime, people who live in the building are still pretty shaken. I was scared because, I mean, no woman should be going through no type of domestic violence, you know? And Johnson had an active restraining order against Williams. Police arrested him here in the city, but turned him over to officers in Nassau County. He appeared in court today on separate charges, including grand larceny and assault. He's held on bail in that case, held on $125,000 bail. As far as this case, so far, he has not been charged. This is what's happening to women picking these these hood rat dudes, man. I hope they catch them and, you know, they catch the rest of them. There shouldn't even be bail for this type of um, crime. There should not be any type of bail at all. Okay, so... Going on to the next story. This one is kind of wild. Okay. This one is insane. Because this just shows that you have to... Um, you, you have to basically do a little bit better screening um, rookies... And uh, 
it, it's pathetic. It's just really is. It's it's really pathetic. Let's get into it. Right here. Hard Talk Radio live in 4K. Fair use. I gotta see that again. I have to see that again. Okay, let's read the details about this. Okay, shocking moment. Rookie cop opens fire on startled 17-year-old eating a burger with his girlfriend in McDonald's park lot. San Antonio officer is fired and teen is hospitalized with multiple gunshot wounds. 
A San Antonio cop was fired on Wednesday after he shot a teenager eating in a McDonald's parking lot with body cam footage showing the harrowing moment the officer opened fire. Eric Cantu, 17, remains in the hospital with multiple gunshot wounds, and his condition is unclear. James Brennard, a probationary police officer who served on the, on the force for only seven months, was dismissed after being placed on administrative duty. Brennard was called to the McDonald's for reported disturbance before he noticed Cantu's car outside the restaurant. The officer, brought the car, the officer thought the car was the same one that evaded him the night before when he attempted to stop the vehicle as the registered license plate didn't match the vehicle. It didn't match the vehicle. Why did you why did you approach the car? Why did you approach the car? It didn't match. The license plate didn't match. I, I don't I don't get that. Brennard approached Cantu's maroon car and called for cover but quickly tried to take matters into his own hands and open fire, open the, I'm sorry, and open the car door. Police have not confirmed whether the Cantu's car was stolen. This is some clown stuff. All right, this was sheer stupidity. Really highly reckless behavior on the cop. All right. You were supposed to wait for backup. You called for backup. Why didn't you wait? Nothing. Okay. Why didn't you wait for backup? You decide to take it into your own hands. I, I don't I don't know what to say, man. This is just sheer stupidity. Absolutely. Let's let's get in what has to be said here. Say that can defend what, what he did, his actions that night. A San Antonio police officer terminated after a shooting involving two teens Sunday night in a north side parking lot. SAPD released body cam footage of the incident that happened around 10.45 Sunday night in a McDonald's parking lot off Blanco Road. We are learning tonight that officer had only been on the force for seven months and still on probation. Chief William McManus talked to Ken's Five reporter Vanessa Coy defending the department's decision to fire that officer. Vanessa joins us live now from where that shooting happened. And Vanessa, I've seen that video. It is disturbing. Well, definitely, uh, Deborah, that video definitely difficult to watch tonight. Oh, those moments captured on camera happened on Sunday in this McDonald's parking lot behind me. And today, Chief William McManus shared his frustrations with us, saying that officer completely violated the department's tactics and policies. The chief saying that video speaks for itself. Seventeen-year-old Eric Cantu shot at point-blank range by San Antonio police officer James Brennan. Get out of the car. 
after the teen had been ordered out of the car and tried to drive away. Chaotic moments captured on Officer Brennan's body cam video. That officer now out of a job. The, the night that this happened, um, before I even saw the video, uh, looking at the scene, uh, I, I had my concerns, serious concerns. Chief William McManus said it happened Sunday night when Officer Brennan was called out to the McDonald's off the 11,000 block of Blanco Road for a disturbance. SAPD says when Officer Brennan arrived to the scene, he started getting information from witnesses. Then the officer spots what he thinks might be a stolen car in the parking lot and calls for backup. Hey, can you start me one more? I got a vehicle over here that uh, left for me the other day. It's in the parking lot. Moments later, before that backup arrives, Officer Brennan approaches the car. Get out of the car. When the 17-year-old tried to back up, Officer Brennan starts shooting. Cantu and his 17-year-old passenger try to drive away. Officer Brennan points his gun at the car for a second time and opens fire. Officers caught up with Cantu, who stopped a block away. He'd been shot four times and taken to the hospital in critical condition. Three days later, the department fired Officer Brennan. McManus said the officer, still under probation, didn't follow department training or policy. Officers are prohibited from shooting at, at moving vehicles unless it's in defense of life. And that particular case that evening was not in defense of life. No guns were found on Cantu or in the car, the chief says. And neither Cantu nor the car had anything to do with the disturbance call Officer Brennan responded to in the first place. Well, we, we don't know who was driving that vehicle the day before. So I don't, I don't know what the officer was thinking, but we don't know who was driving that vehicle the day before. Nor, nor did he. he could have shot that car and that, that driver suffering from the gunshot wounds could have plowed into somebody or plowed into a truck. That could have caused a real bad accident. Someone else could have died that night. I hope they sue. I hope they sue Officer Brennan, that teenager. Okay, yeah. I mean, anything is like just get out the car. You didn't even identify yourself. Get out. There was no proper procedure at all. But you tried to drive away. This time, no, 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 no. You didn't follow procedure. The license plate didn't even match. You were supposed to wait for backup. say that could justify what happened. Well, Chief McManus said the department, once they finish their investigation, they'll turn it over to the Bear County DA. Now we're told the passenger in that car wasn't hurt, but as for the driver, he's facing charges of evading arrest and assaulting a police officer, but it's still unclear if that car was actually stolen. We asked the chief today if those charges will be dropped. He told us that's up to the DA. Reporting live in the Northwest. He did try to evade the cops. Yeah, he did. All right. But those charges probably, they probably, they may, they may get dropped. May. Okay. After that, no, 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 no. You, he, that was a big mistake. That was a big mistake. What, what happened there? All right. Sheer stupidity.
we got some really disgusting people in New York City. I hate to say it, you know. I like going to New York. I like New York City, man. I do. I like it. But we have some disgusting people here. I am sorry we have, we really do, some disgusting human beings in New York City. New York City thief pickpocketed dead victim who was pinned under a truck. A soulless thief pickpocketed dead man crushed by a truck in Manhattan. A ghoulish onlooker shared her on video obtained by the Post shows. The woman was reported apparently pickpocketing the body of a pedestrian who had been crushed under a tractor trailer in Midtown. And the sickening crime has left police unable to identify him or notify his or her, his family of his death, sources said. The gruesome crash occurred as the victim, who police said was believed to be in his 50s, crossing the 8th Avenue at West 44th Street around 11.30 a.m. Thursday. Video shows the thief wearing white pants and a black jacket shimmy under the truck toward the dead man and smoothly reaching for his wallet. Giddy onlookers seemingly unbothered by the sight of a dead man egged her on. Go ahead, gangster, go ahead. One man says as he watches the roadway robbery unfold. Stunned witnesses called the cops on the brazen burglar, but officers have been unable to apprehend the alleged perp who was wanted for grand larceny, police sources said. The devilish crime did succeed in dragging out the tragedy. Without victims, wild cops don't know who he is and haven't been able to reach his family. No charges have been filed against the driver, a police spokeswoman said on Saturday. New Yorkers shown the video, <clears throat> shown the video Saturday reacted with horror. It's like with gladiators, nobody came in to stop. That's even more disturbing, said Elma Canefield, 83, a therapist who lives on the Upper West Side. Marco Nevis, 51, a security guard at the St. James Theater on West 44th Street, said he was lost for words. To see somebody dead under a truck and actually do that, that's horrible, Nevis said. A man named Tommy who also works security, said, this is New York, man. Theo Cooper, 25, a tech support engineer who lived in Manhattan until he was 18, now resides in North Carolina, said the shocking scene did not make him miss the Big Apple. I'm kind of disappointed. I don't think New York was the kind of place where that would happen, Cooper said. Sure, we used to be being all grumpy and frustrated at each other, but we're also supposed to stick up for each other and not like convince each other to do terrible things. The shameless pickpocketing occurred on New York. New York City faced a spat of high-profile crimes, including series of stabbings, assaults, and even pepper spray attacks on the city's massive subway train. Grand larceny accounts for 40% of the felonies. <clears throat> crimes across all New York City, NYPD Commissioner Kinshad Sewell said on Friday. Burglary, grand larceny, and grand theft auto were all up over 20% last month versus 2021, according to the most recent figures. Overall, major crime jumped 15.2% last month compared to the early to a year earlier, the stats show. Insane, man. Insane. He opened fire in a parking lot. Those bullets he fired could have hit someone too. I live in Hudson, New York, 
and it used to be that way here too. Hey, um, he's gonna get. He's gonna get. Uh, he's gonna get his. He's probably gonna get sued. That's the issue. That's gonna. He's gonna have to deal with. He's probably going to get sued because uh, you can't do that. You cannot do that, and they have a lot of incompetent people becoming cops. And um, it's sad. That's how it's going down in in New York. I'm sorry, not New York, Austin, Texas, San Antonio, Texas. Scary things are happening, man. Scary things. All right. But let me check out something right here. Let me check out something right here. Because there was a story that I wanted to do. Mm. Nah. Nah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Mm. Yeah. Let me see about this one. Okay, hold on one minute. One second. Yep, let's do this one. Hold on a minute. I have to say this man was protecting his loved ones. He was protecting his loved ones. I can't really knock him for that. Started with an alleged robbery and it ended with revenge. Brand new tonight. Two young men are getting treatment after being shot in the head and neck at this police scene. The Q shooter is in jail. Welcome to those of you watching on CBS News Baltimore and on WJC-TV. I'm Vic Carter. And I'm Rick Ritter. Now tonight, a Baltimore City man accused of shooting squeegee workers who he believed stole more than $2,000 from his mom. This, of course, comes at a time when the city has seen so many incidents of violence surrounding squeegee workers you see on the streets. WJC is live. Annie Rose Ramos combed through new documents tonight. She's breaking down the bizarre and disturbing details of this case for you. Annie Rose. Vic, police say Zamil Dixon picked up three squeegee workers back in May saying he had a paid job moving things at his house. But at his house, he asked which of the three workers took money from his mother and then began shooting at them. 26-year-old Zamil Dixon facing freshly filed charges of two counts of attempted first and second degree murder for shooting squeegee workers in the head and neck. This all goes back to May 18th when a police report says Sandra Dixon, the suspect's mother, was coming back from work when squeegee workers approached her car pleading for money. She didn't have cash, so she gave them her phone to access Cash App. After driving away, she noticed a total of $2,200 was transferred out of her bank accounts. 
New charging documents show Dixon's brother is in jail. When investigators reviewed jail calls, they determined the two brothers were very upset about an incident that happened with their mother. They believe squeegee workers had stolen money from her and they wanted to do something about it. According to charging documents, Dixon picked three squeegee workers up the very next day, May 19th. He offered them paid work at his house off Edmonton Avenue. Once there, he asked which of them took money from his mother and began shooting. One got away, but two others, a 17 and 23-year-old, were shot. One of the victims told police he had no idea what Dixon was talking about, and this was the first time they'd seen him. I get it. he was trying to defend his mom, but at the same time, you ha- you you can't. Uh, these are homeless people. You're not going to get them. You're not going to get them back. All right, you're not going to do it. I understand your anger, but you just have to let that go. And you know, what was your mom doing? Giving her cash app out to those people. What was your mom thinking? That's just the L she's going to have to take. Now, Rick, police say they say they caught Dixon through surveillance video that caught his license plate number on the car at the shooting, and they traced it back to him. They arrested him two weeks ago. Reporting live in Manny Rose. Yeah, man. Yeah. Not a smart idea. Not a smart idea. At all. Unfortunately, now he has to deal with that. For us, he's going to be probably put away for a long time. What he got to do? That's what he got to deal with, man. That's what he got to deal with. All right. Hold on one minute. Here we go. Here's the story. Here's the story right here I wanted to talk about. Give me one minute. Thought it was a dumb idea to do it in the first place, me personally, and now you got now you need them back. Tell me what you guys think about this story. What you guys to tell me what you think. Let's get into it. The city's vaccine mandate for police officers is in legal limbo tonight. First, a Supreme Court judge overturned it, but it's the city's immediate appeal leaves the mandate in place for now. 
It was a major victory for New York City police officers after Justice Lyle Frank ruled in favor of the Police Benevolent Association's lawsuit against the city. Judge Frank wrote that the vaccine mandate is invalid to the extent it has been used to impose a new condition of employment to current PBA members. The city was ordered to reinstate PBA members who were fired or put on leave without pay because they refused to get vaccinated. But attorney Andrew Lieb, who has represented municipal workers in discrimination cases, says the decision is very limited. It's not about whether vaccines are legal. Vaccines are legal in employment. The question is, what is the penalty? in the city when the penalties made by the Department of Health. The ruling came just days after the city lifted the vaccine mandate for private sector employees. City officials pointed out that other unions have lost similar cases. Just yesterday, a court dismissed a case brought by the firefighters union. A city hall spokesperson told CBS2 that over 1,750 city workers lost their jobs since the mandate went into effect. This includes police officers, teachers, and firefighters. James Artisana is a retired firefighter and is hoping for the best. So many of these people, they, this is not what they wanted to do. They didn't want to retire. They didn't want to lose their job. All these jobs are, are great jobs. Shortly after the ruling, the unions representing firefighters and fire officers demanded that their members be reinstated as well and with back pay. But Lieb says he doesn't believe that will happen. This decision is, again, very, very limited. It's not going to affect other civil servants because most of the other civil servants don't have the same reason that this specific thing happened. Lieb says he expects the appeal to be heard sooner than later. Meanwhile, a PBA spokesman said it is their position that the judge's ruling is immediately in effect. Thalia Perez, CBS 2 News. So, tell me what you think about that, okay? Because how many people want to be cops and you need the manpower? So, what are your thoughts about this? What do you, what do you think? Do you think the judge was right with what he did? Uh, reversing the, uh, the mandate? Let me know what you think about that. Okay, that's all the stories I got for now. I'll possibly probably do more later. Um, that's about it. Hope you enjoyed the stream. Anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later.